Hi, I'm Molly Hagan. You may remember me as Eris from Deep Space Nine. I was the first Vorta, and you are listening to Trek Untold. Hello and welcome back to Trek Untold, the Star Trek podcast that goes beyond the stars. I'm your host, Matthew Kaplowitz. Back when this podcast first launched in mid-2020, my very first guest was Caitlin Hopkins. She was, and remains, a lovely person and shared some great stories about her two roles in Star Trek and other notable moments from her life and career. If you don't remember Caitlin, she was the Vorta named Kalana in the Deep Space Nine episode The Ship, and the scam artist Dala from the Star Trek Voyager episode Live Fast and Prosper. I recommend if you haven't heard that episode before, go ahead and dig through our archives to find it. Not just because it's an excellent interview with a really, really great performer, but also you can see just how terribly awkward I was back in that very first interview. But the main reason I want to bring up Caitlin's name here in this intro is because it concerns this week's guest for our show. You see, there were very few female Vorta in Star Trek history. Caitlin was one of them, Kitty Swink was another who we also spoke to fairly recently, but the first person to ever don that Vorta makeup is this week's guest, Molly Hagen. Molly was Eris in the DS9 second season finale, The Jem'Hadar, which introduced both her character species and the titular aliens du jour, The Jem'Hadar, both of whom we'd be seeing a lot of over the next five seasons. As you already know, Molly never reprised that role, and that's what brought us Caitlin Hopkins in the ship, and Dennis Christopher as Borath in The Search Part 2 only a few episodes after Molly's first appearance. And this week, we're going to finally explain what show is so much more important than Star Trek that she had to jump out and do that instead. But beyond her time in Trek... Molly has been in over 150 shows and countless stage plays. You may have watched her in The Nuthouse, The Golden Girls, Columbo, Seinfeld, Herman's Head, Early Edition, Touched by an Angel, Diagnosis Murder, Friends, Charmed, Jag, iZombie, Monk, Unfabulous, Better Call Saul, and plenty more. And these days, you can see her on TV in the new Walker series on The CW every Thursday night. There, she plays Walker's mom, Abilene, where Walker is played by Supernatural's Jared Padalecki. It goes without saying that Molly has had some terrific roles throughout her career, and today we spent some time getting to know more about them, as well as her personal life story. It was a real treat to spend some time chatting with Molly, and you're going to really love learning all about her. So no need to blab to the founders, we've got ourselves a Vorta here today who's willing to talk all about the Dominion and plenty more. But before we jump into our interview, I want to ask you, are you following Trek Untold on social media? It's the best way to keep up to date on who's going to be the next guest on Trek Untold and to learn all about the other cool things that are happening here. So if you're on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter, go ahead and look up Trek Untold, all one word, and give us a follow and a like. If you'd like to help support the show monetarily, go ahead and check out teespring.com stores slash Trek Untold to check out some of the merchandise we have available. This includes t-shirts, mugs, phone cases, sweatshirts, stickers, and a whole bunch more. So go ahead and check out teespring.com slash stores slash Trek Untold. You can also support our show by visiting patreon.com slash Trek Untold. If you become a paid subscriber to Trek Untold, you'll get first access to the show and a chance to ask our guests questions on future episodes. But most of all, please subscribe to the show wherever you're listening to it or watching it. And if you've already done that, please also leave a review and a rating if you can. Leaving ratings and reviews helps increase the visibility of podcasts on platforms like iTunes and other places like it. It shows that you're listening and that you like it, and that other people who are interested in the same subject are going to probably like it too. 
It helps us grow, it helps us get better guests, and it helps us keep bringing this amazing Trek Untold show to you. If you're already following us or have supported us in any other way, thank you, of course, for being a part of the Trek Untold family. There's a lot of Star Trek podcasts out there, and we're very grateful that you chose us to listen to. I'd also like to make a quick shout out to our friends at Triple Fiction Productions, who make some great 3D printed Star Trek inspired toys and replicas for fans of all ages and toys of all sizes. But you'll hear more about them a little later on in the show. Now, without further ado, let's beam up this week's guest. Computer, access interview file. And welcome back to Trek Untold. Now joining us on the other side of the screen, we have Molly Hagen. Molly, how's it going today? I'm very good. Thank you, Matthew. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining us today. You're someone who have actually has been on my list of people to interview for quite some time because you are a pretty important part of DS9. And uh, I got a lot of questions for you about that show, but we're going to get there in a little bit. First things first, outside of performing in the show, I got to ask, what's your earliest memory of Star Trek? My earliest memory was in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Um, I think it was 1966. And we had this gigantic house for some reason. And um, the TV was in the, this is not how we normally lived, but at this time we had a gigantic house and we had a pool, a pool table. And in the pool table room, we had a TV. I just remember, I, I think the intro music, I would have been five years old. And I remember the intro music and I remember having to go to bed. So then um, I don't think I really started watching the original um, Star Trek until it was in reruns and I would come home from school and I religiously watched it. And um, so one of my favorite ones is about the Gorn. And, um, and then uh, I, I guess the guy who played the Gorn is going to be in Las Vegas uh, in, in a month. And I'm like, Oh my God. So I might have to totally geek out on him. Are you going to be at Star Trek Las Vegas? I am. I okay, am. Awesome. Yeah. We, we actually interviewed Bobby Clark. He's the stuntman who played the Gorn. So yeah, I'm glad you guys get to meet cause he's awesome. You're going to love him. His, how old is he? Oh, I, I don't want to put the wrong number out there, but he's, he's up there in age. Okay. Oh, but, but he's, but anyway, I'm super excited. He's still sharp as a tack too. He's got some great stories. You'll love him. Oh, great. So yeah, that kind of leads into my next question. In fact, you kind of started to par- partially answer that. Uh, and that's uh, kind of getting some more background information about you. Uh, so where were you born? Who were your parents? What do they do? And what did little Molly Hagen want to be when she grew up? I was born in Minneapolis, but I grew up in Fort Wayne, Indiana. And my father was an illustrator. And my mom um, raised seven children. Um, but she was trained as a school teacher. So she would, um, even when I was growing up, she would come and substitute at my school um, in my class, much to my chagrin. Um, and, uh, uh, but yeah, she, she at that one point, God, this was the worst job for her. <laughs> so with seven children, she was kind of a hypochondriac and also worried that we were all going to kill it ourselves, you know, by whatever. She had a job at... Um, the hospital where she was the intake person for insurance. And so you'd have to ask people, do you have insurance? And, um, and she would see all these things, you know, so she would come home and like, well, here's another thing you can't do. I saw a man with an arrow through his ear that barely, you know, stuff like that. It was just, you know, it was the worst job my mom possibly could have. And I wanted to be a ballerina. 
but we didn't have any money, but we didn't have money for our dance lessons. So I probably, it, it's a really hard life. It's probably a great thing that I never had any dance lessons. <laughs> well, but it's kind of interesting because even at that young age, you knew you wanted to be doing some kind of performance. So oh yeah, I really the acting bug bite you. Yeah. So, I mean, the, being the last of seven children, it's all about getting as much attention as you possibly can get. It's sort of natural. It's like, oh, what's, what's the job that I could get the most attention? Oh, acting. So, uh, yeah, I wanted to be an actor at, at an early age. Did you do a lot of theater in school? Not really. There wasn't really an opportunity to. And then and by the time I was in high school, uh, I was kicked out of the theater class so (laughs) i gotta ask i mean you can't just leave that one hanging (laughs) well there was a community theater in fort wayne called the uh, fort wayne civic theater um they did a production of equus and um i auditioned for it and i got the young female lead young female role um jill mason and so i was in at the same time i was in a musical at school and i was playing this awful role because I really couldn't sing. And um, so I had told them I had to, I had to quit because I was going to do Equus downtown in Fort Wayne. And the teacher literally said, if you quit, you will never work in this school again. (laughs) And I went, okay. (laughs) That's an excellent answer. So clearly you got some priorities here. So once you're out of high school, I mean, did you go somewhere else to pursue acting? Did you just go right to Hollywood or were you going somewhere to learn more? Um, I went to Northwestern University, which had um, a really good theater department. And I studied there and I studied a little bit in Chicago and stayed in Chicago a little bit. And then um, I got my equity card in Chicago and then I stopped working and my agent had moved out to L.A. And I went, well, I can be just as unemployed in L.A., so I moved to LA and then I studied some more and, and I, and then I took like a 15 year break, but I still study now uh, with Stuart Rogers. I still study through zoom. So I, you know, I'm in Austin working on a show. I'm not right now, but I mean, in August, I'll go back and, and I still study with my teacher. Yeah. They say you never stop learning when you're in this industry. For sure. You don't. So do you remember what your very first professional gig was in television? Well, it was a commercial. Okay. But you, that's not what you mean. No, commercials are fine too. Yeah. Do you remember what, what it was for? Yeah, it was for a radio station in Chicago. And I was cut out of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a terrible story. What, what happened I'm there? <laughs> sorry, because they told every. This is my first lesson in Hollywood is like, never tell people when you're in something. Because I told everyone about it, that I was in this commercial. You've got to watch, blah, 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 blah. And I was cut out of it. It was humiliating. And I went, oh, note to self, don't ever say when you're in something. Unless you've seen it. And then you can say, okay, you can watch this. And did you have lines in that? Or were you just part of the background? No, I had lines. I was, I can't remember what I did, but it was something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it can't be too memorable then. But yeah, I mean, so during this time you're coming up in the industry, I mean, you're probably working a lot of shows. Was, was there one in particular that stands out to you uh, in those early days? Well, every time I got to work with Angela Lansbury was really awesome. I worked with her when I was young. Um, And that was, I remember that. And I remember Columbo. I think working with Angela Lansbury and working with Peter Falk was huge. 
Yeah, we got to talk about Murder, She Wrote, in fact. We're kind of jumping ahead a little bit, and I'm glad to do that, because Murder, She Wrote is always one of those hot topics we discuss on Trek Untold. Uh, I love hearing Angela Lansbury stories, and I know you did you did two episodes with her, right? I did two episodes, and then I did a um, I did a made-for-TV movie with her, and then I think she cast me in her episodes. It, it, then she cast me a couple times. But yeah, I played her daughter in this made-for-TV movie, and I just loved her. Yeah, I'd love to hear any stories you have about working with Angela, because everybody we've talked to always has something about her. She always had something special she should do with them, or something yeah. that, you know, you always remember about her. It was in the made-for-TV movie, and um, my brother dies, and her son dies. And so there's this scene where we come together, and we're weeping, and we are hugging, and we, I think we just recently found out the news or something, and we're grieving. Well, she was, she was there every take. Whether she was on camera or not, she was completely there for me, completely full emotion and everything. And I was okay in the um, master and I was okay in the medium shot. By the time I got to the close up, I was dry. And it, and the director who I really liked um, uh, said, I told you to save it. And I went, and I knew it wasn't because I was dry. It was, I was nervous. So, I mean, I could, you know, it, I was just, it, the camera kept moving in and I knew that this was the most important thing. And so I got really, really nervous and she was there for me the whole time. And so during lunch, I went to her trailer and I knocked on her, on her door and I said, um, Ms. Lansbury, can I talk to you? She says, oh, go on, darling, come on in. So uh, I said, how are you able to do that again and again and again? And she said to me what I thought was the kindest thing I've ever heard an actor say to another actor. She said, Oh, when you get older, you have so much more to cry about. So she took me off the hook at being like bad, you know, it's like, it has nothing to do with your ability. This is what I got out of it. It has nothing to do with your ability. Things change when you get older, you've lived in life. There's a lot more that happened. I mean, it was just the most profound and generous response. I it still makes me. I love the, I I love her. Yeah, that's an amazing piece of advice right there. Just wow. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that one that one got to me too. I mean, oof. Yeah, that, that's something that sticks with you too. And you know, yeah. since you mentioned Peter Falk as well, I mean, we've heard some stories about working with him too. I'd love to hear a little bit more about him because I feel like he's someone who's not really talked about as much these days, and he's contributed so much to TV and film. My favorite moment was this. We were, it, I think it was the first episode because I did a couple of them. The, so the first time I worked with him, there was this big reveal on one of the sound stages on and uh, in Universal. I'd like take off a, 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 a wig and then you realize who I am. And, blah, blah. and it's a gigantic stage and the camera's really far away and Peter's even farther away. I mean, he's nowhere near. And we, I, I don't really, we didn't, we didn't really use monitors that much then. That was still sort of the beginning of monitors. And even if they were monitors, you really couldn't see them that well. You couldn't really see. It was more about framing and stuff. You couldn't, they're not like today. Like now monitors are amazing. And I was having trouble with it, but you couldn't really tell. From across the stage, well, he came over to talk to me. He didn't say this in front of everyone. He said, he came, he came up to me and he says, it seems like you're uncomfortable with this. I can just sense, would you rather? And he gave another way to do it because he sensed I was uncomfortable from across the state. I mean, like 
he was so intuitive. He was such an actor's actor. And he was so helpful all the time. And I just went, how did, how could he tell? It was crazy to me. And he, and he suggested something and it made 30,000 million times better. And he wanted to make me comfortable. I also have another horrible story. I mean, this is a horrible story about me. It's always about how horrible I am. Um, We do love horror stories here. Yeah. Peter Falk was a fantastic artist. I don't know if people know that. He, 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 um, at least the stuff I saw, he was a sketch artist and he was magnificent. I didn't know this at the time. So because my father was an illustrator and also did a lot of portrait portraiture um, as time went on and because he was a commercial artist and commercial artists, the job dropped out. I mean, by the time early sixties, it was all photography. So um, he moved into portraiture and, and stuff like that. So there was a, I think this was the second episode. The second episode I ever did with him, there was a painting of me um, that someone had done. And he says, so what do you, what do you think of, um, what do you think of the painting? Luckily he didn't do this. Thank God. He did not do the painting. And I went, well, and I'm just a jackass. I mean, I'm like, well, you know, he's God, the, the guy uses a lot of black in this, which is really weird. You don't, there's no black in nature. And then I'm like looking at the portrait. I'm like, well, I mean, it's good. I mean, it looks like me. I mean, I'm clearly stacked in this photo. I mean, the picture was like, I had gigantic, whatever, but I'm like going into detail about stuff that my father had told me at one point in time. And I'm just bloviating. I mean, horrible. And then, you know, he's like, oh, that's really interesting. And then I get invited to his office or something. And I'm as I'm going through the ante room to get into his office, this is like weeks later, I notice all these like magnificent sketches. Like, my God, who did these? And his secretary said, oh, Peter, Peter does this. And I went, oh, God, <laughs> I just, this man knows so much more about art than I do. And I was just like, oh, I'm such an idiot. I'm like, oh, but I was young. But I'm just like, oh, and I, oh, I went into his office. I'm like, you know, you're a really great artist. <laughs> and he goes, well, thank you. But he was great. He was gracious, kind. You know, he didn't say, you know, as I'm, bl- I'm literally going on and on about this painting, that I'm an idiot. He would never, you know, he didn't, uh, but I was. <laughs> Those are amazing stories. And you were basically in the trifecta of shows we like to discuss here on Trek Untold. We already mentioned Angela Lansbury Murray, she wrote. Uh, it was another one we're going to discuss probably towards the end of this episode. But the one I got to ask you about is Golden Girls. You were in season five, episode triple play. and You're a pretty key character in this episode. Uh, if folks haven't seen it. It's available on Hulu to watch. And I recommend you do it. Uh, so yeah, you got to tell me what's it like to work face to face with Betty White. It's I got some Betty White stories too. <laughs> um, oh, oh boy, yeah, so do tell, do she, tell. Well, first of all, I was a huge Mary Tyler Moore fan. So um Sue Ann Nivens was uh I mean, I've done my version of Sue Ann for a lot of different roles <laughs> because it was so iconic and she really nailed the um the sweet, passive aggressive. I mean, the, the funniest, I mean, just funny. God, she was so funny. So when I got to meet her, um, she is exactly who you think she's going to be. She's kind. She's funny. She's warm. She's um, inviting and gracious. Um, and then I and and this, you know, Rose, who's so super, really sweet. And then I have to be mean to her. <laughs> like, 
Um, it was great. And then I, I Betty, um, she probably still supports us, uh, supported tree people, which was a, an environmental organization in Los Angeles. And I participated in that too. And I kept seeing her around at different events at another event too, that had nothing to do with tree people. Um, and then I saw her get at tree people and, as I was going up to her and I, and, and she turned to the, and it'd been years since I worked with her. She turned to her companion. She says, now watch Molly's going to reintroduce herself to me. And I went, I went, I was, I was because I always went over like, Betty, I don't know if you remember me, but my name is Molly. And, 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 and she goes, I remember you, Molly. I, and they, and oh, millions and millions of people that Betty White has met how she would remember my name is beyond my comprehension. <laughs> but yeah, it was great working with her and Harold Gould. I mean, I had a huge crush on Harold Gould growing up. Um, I guess I was just into older men or something. But um, but so it was really fun to be his daughter because I, I really loved him. And just to be with those two, it, it, these two iconic sitcom figures and and not Harold wasn't just a sitcom actor and and nor is Betty but I mean these actors was huge to me and yet while looking through your resume and just trying to find things I could watch to see more of your appearances and more roles you've done uh, I came upon an episode of Seinfeld that you did and as soon as I watched it I was like oh you were in that one this is like one of my favorite legitimately is one of my favorite Seinfeld episodes of all time uh and and the episode is where uh, I can't remember I think the episode is called the conversion and in that episode, basically, yeah. George is converting to the religion of Susan. Whatever. You guys can watch the episode if you want to see it. But you were the nun that is essentially being seduced by Michael Richards, by Kramer and his Kavorka. I love this episode. So, you know, you, you must have some stories from being on that set. Um, I just remember uh, I just remember Jason Alexander the most because he has this scene where he, he's going to be converted. He just walks down the aisle and he's walking down the aisle and they did the take. I don't know, uh, many, many times because Jason had more and more ideas. So every time he walked down the aisle, he did something different. And I completely lost my, I completely lost it every single one time he like tripped. Another time he spilled the wine. Another time. I mean, it was just like every single take he did was just genius in a completely different way. And I just, I was, this is like the funniest actor I've ever seen in my life. And um, I, that's actually what I remember most about it. I mean, and I had a great time, but I mean, that's, I remember most watching Jason. Yeah, I, I love that episode. So I got to ask you about this other oddity on your resume. Hopefully you remember something from this one too. I, I dig deep. Uh, you were in Alf's Christmas special. <laughs> oh, I, yeah, I have fun. Oh God. Paul, what is the operator's name of Alf? Paul. You mean Alf's not real? What are, what are you talking about? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm going up on his name. He was so genius. So I just remember, I don't ever think I saw Paul. I only saw Alf. Paul was always under the stage and Alf was above. And I just remember in between a take Alf just going on and on about something just dreadful. And I had completely forgotten that this was a puppet. And I'm just relating to Alf. This is between scenes. It's like, there's no, and also it wasn't in front of a live audience. So there's no one there. So, and I'm talking to Alf and I'm going, you're horrible. You're a horrible thing. And I, I mean, just reacting and like, that's how genius Paul was. I mean, and he was funny, but I, I don't think I ever met him. I think I only met Alf. 
And we've spoken to folks who have acted before with Muppets or other types of puppets, and a lot of them say it can be difficult because you're working with something that's not really reacting or emoting, but it sounds like you had a pretty easy oh, time. Oh, no, working he was without. reacting and emoting between sets and all constantly. <laughs> he was very, uh, he was, he was, a th- he was, I believed Elf, hook, line, and sinker. Trek Untold will return momentarily. Trek Untold is brought to you by Triple Fiction Productions. If you're a Star Trek cosplayer looking for props or toy collector looking to spice up your shelves, Triple Fiction Productions has you covered. Triple Fiction Productions produces affordable and unique 3D printed Trek inspired products from the original series, Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, Voyager, Enterprise, and the movies. You can expect the same amount of care and attention to detail in any of the items in their catalog, whether it's a prop replica for use in a fan film, or part of a cosplay, or accessories and playsets for figures from Playmates, Migos, or Diamond Select. Own your very own tricorder or phaser rifle with working lights, the bridge of the Enterprise E for your Playmates figures, or any other item from countless species and ships from the Star Trek universe. All products are 3D printed in the USA and are constantly evolving and improving based on fan feedback. To learn more about their products, visit them at triple-fictionproductions.net or on Facebook at facebook.com slash triplefictionproductions. Triple Fiction Productions, taking Star Trek where no 3D printer has gone before. Hi, I'm Jonathan Frakes. If you're of a certain age, you may remember me as Commander Riker from Star Trek The Next Generation. And my wonderful brother Daniel died with pancreatic cancer 24 years ago. They opened him up, they diagnosed, they said, you've got six months to live. And that was it. He died four months later. And at that time, there was a 3% survival rate. Since then, we've grown to the embarrassingly high number of 10%. But a dear friend of mine and probably all of yours, Kitty Swink, is one of those 10%. She has survived pancreatic cancer for 17 going on 18 years. Pancreatic cancer is the third leading cause of cancer-related deaths in the United States with a five-year survival rate. That's just 10%. And more than 60,000 Americans are estimated to be diagnosed with pancreatic cancer in 2021. More than 48,000 will die from the disease because symptoms are often vague and be hard to detect. That's why I'm supporting the Pancreatic Cancer Action Network, the leading patient advocacy organization committed to fighting the world's toughest cancer. PanCan is working hard to create outcomes for this devastating disease through its groundbreaking research in early detection and better treatment options. PanCan drives progress by funding life-saving research, providing personalized patient services and creating a community of supporters and volunteers like you who will stop at nothing to create a world in which all pancreatic cancer patients will thrive. You can help support our important mission by donating today at pancan.org. Thanks for your time. We now return to Trek Untold. So Molly, let's move on to our Trek discussion now. we got a lot to discuss here because, uh, well, really, we're kind of starting at the beginning of this because you were a part of a, an episode in Season 2 of Deep Space Nine. But before we even get there, I read that you auditioned originally for the part of Jadzia Dax. Do you recall that? 
I did? According to what I've read somewhere, it said you did. I don't know if that's legit or not. You can maybe uh, fact check this. I think I auditioned a lot for Star Trek stuff, but I don't remember specifics. I just remember this big room. And this room is gigantic. And maybe it was like a rehearsal hall. But I, I think the room had like white walls that were like pegboard that is maybe writers used to work in that room or something. It was, I, I don't know. It was, it, it was an uncomfortable room. So do you remember anything from the audition that you did for the part that you actually did get, which was that season two finale, the Gem Hadar? Can you recall anything from that? Oh yeah. I mean, I came, I came up with something I thought was really cool. And then they didn't use it. <laughs> um, so I came up with, um, like this hand pulse thing. Um, I was really excited to like, be the first of this thing. And I was like, oh, I could come up with something like Spock. I could, you know, and I'll do a hand thing. So when she had the telekinetic power, I I did this, you know, pulse. I, I did this thing with my hand that I thought was really cool. And yeah, they, they weren't about it. <laughs> so now folks who are listening to the show, they obviously know that you were the very first Vorta in Star Trek history. Uh, I'm curious if you remember uh, the makeup process for it and specifically before you even got on set, if you remember if there was any test makeups and any differences to what you got to what ultimately we saw on screen? Um, I don't think so. Um, I just, I remember being, um, I don't even think I had a full cast. I think I just had cast here um, for the the prosthetics. And then I remember going to hair because the wig was kind of intense. Was it just ears and hair then? That's all you had to go through for the most part? Yeah, it was just ears and hair. Did you have contact lenses? Oh yeah. <laughs> How were those? I got that. Yeah, but they, they, well, I wear contacts anyway. So the I wore hard contacts at the time. So these were like a walk in the park because they were soft. Yeah, I forgot about the contacts. That was it. So it was pretty easy. It's not too bad. Do you remember how long the process would be when you're on set? It was still intense because I had to show up at like three o'clock in the morning, and you know, Armin Shimmerman who had to show up at the same time and had the full schmick. He, he was so nice. Like Armin always had to show up at like three o'clock in the morning. I mean, that was his life. I only did this for like a week and my hair fell out. I had a big chunk of hair fall out here and I didn't know whether it was night or day, you know, like when, it, I don't know if you've ever been in a casino before, but that you can't find exits. Um, that's what like, that's what like working on Star Trek was like, you didn't know what time of day it was. You were always on this set and you would wake up, you'd go to work at night and then you'd wrap at night. And these people, I did it one week or whatever. They did it 26 episodes or what? I don't know how they, I don't know how the makeup artists did it. I don't know how the actors did it. I don't know how anyone did it. And, you know, makeup and hair are the first to arrive and the last to leave. Yeah, they're, they're the Marines of the uh, Starfleet world, if you will, really. Uh. <laughs> well, they really are, because, I mean, not only have to show up early to take put on your makeup, they have to stay late to take off your makeup. And we should add, too, I want to just clarify, when you said that you had a patch of hair fall, if you talk about your wig or you talk about your actual hair from the makeup process, like your real actual hair. hair. Uh, actual hair. Oh, wow. That's, that's horrible. I've never heard of that before. Yeah, I, it was either stress or maybe the pin was too tight, but. Yeah, I had like a little patch of hair that fell off. <laughs> that is horrible. I've never heard anybody have that happen to them before, but uh, wow. 
Oh yeah. It was, I, I was really stressful. I, I, you know, I mean, I had, everyone was really nice, but those hours, I, I clearly I'm not made for it. <laughs> you already mentioned Armin Shimmerman. He's pretty much one of the main guys you're working with from the principal cast, Armin, and then also Avery Brooks. So, uh, I mean, what's it like to work with those two? And do you have any stories about chatting with them offset or anything like that? I, I don't remember a lot about Avery. I'm really sorry. I, because I, and I also, I think it maybe he t- kept himself more, but I just remember him being kind and serious. I've been and, and you know, he's a really good actor. Um, I think we talked about Shakespeare, but I'm pretty sure I talked about Shakespeare with Armin because Armin is a Shakespeare authority. And um, if we didn't talk about that, I don't know. I don't know. He was just, he was just so much fun. And I think he's going to be in Vegas. And he's really good friends with another friend of mine, um, Stuart Rogers, who's my teacher. Uh, and I just did the Shakespeare class with Stuart. And um, so I just I want to talk to Armin more about it. <laughs> There's a real interesting connection with uh, Eris and Cisco. I feel like, you know, and it sometimes even feels like it's a romantic connection. So, you know, in, in the end, of course, the Vorta is more duplicitous. We realize, you know, what her whole thing has been this entire episode. But I'm curious, what did you think of the relationship that your character Eris had with Avery Brooks's character, Cisco? Well, I looked at it like in pieces, you know, so it's like, he's my savior. I'm going to, I mean, I mean, I'm looking at him as someone who can help me. Now, a lot of this episode was shot outdoors, but there were some parts that were done in the studio. So I assume anything that was done daytime was actually in an external location, right? Or was it all done in, in a soundstage? I think it was all done in the soundstage. Was it? Okay. Oh, that's pretty convincing that I felt. There are outdoor scenes. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. I just remember the cave. I remember the cave and the bridge. Yeah. The cave is where a lot of the action happens. Yeah. Oh no. No, there is an outdoor. No, I think everything was on. I think everything was on Paramount. Yeah. So when it comes to your actual scenes you have with Avery, with Armin, you know, I found, if you don't mind uh, some compliments right now, I found you to be very excellent uh, at responding and reacting with both those guys, especially considering, you know, you're, you're talking to a Frangie and you're talking to a Starfleet captain and you're an alien. It's all kinds of craziness going on. So, uh, you know, just talking to us about your performance here. Can you talk to us about where that responsiveness and that reaction comes from? And how do you interpret that when you're an alien, essentially? Well, she was super vulnerable in the beginning, right? She's super vulnerable. And then you find out that she's, you know, but ultimately, weren't the Vortas, oh, I mean, yes, she was playing vulnerable, but also, weren't they pawns for the um, Dominion also? So, I mean, ultimately, she is vulnerable. I don't know. It's easy because, you know, I'm getting to do Star Trek. Star Trek has been my favorite thing since, you know, I was young and I already felt vulnerable being on a set with all this crap on. So, I mean, it, it, was, it wasn't a big leap to be vulnerable in front of, um, you know, those actors. <laughs> I, I think I remember feeling like an animal, hmm. like a mouse or something. I can see that. Yeah. Like the way you were doing certain things and a lot of your movements, they were very like, oh, yeah, I wanted together. to do something like weird with my head and stuff. There was <laughs> I remember, a lot of that. Like, yeah. I noticed lots of yeah, like, yeah, tiny I little like, movements. I wanted to, yeah. Cause I was really excited. I was like the first of this thing. So I was like, I want to, you know, imprint it. You know, they took away my hand gesture. So I wanted to like I imprint as much as I can of other, you know, I mean, they say like the key to acting a lot of times is that your character has a secret that the other people don't know. And in your case, you, you really do for this episode. So, I mean, right, I really I, did. Yeah. yeah like, yeah. How much of that does it actually affect what you do and affect your character and affect how you do this episode? Well, I had to think about, well, how good of an actor is this is Eris? 
Hmm. You know, do I want to give acting within an acting job? Yeah, And I was like, well, I don't think I want to give anything away. So I kind of really compartmentalized every, you know, when she finally does a reveal, I wasn't very good actor enough to understand all the levels. So I kind of played it like completely two different characters. I think it definitely worked out. I mean, it's definitely a very memorable role, a very memorable debut for this type of species. Uh, and you also mentioned that, you know, you do appear on the bridge briefly. You appear on, on ops with the rest of the main cast. Uh, so what do you remember about just seeing that bridge for the very first time and just being around everybody else? Because it's very rare that I think a lot of the guest actors get to spend time with everybody on set. Right. Um, well, that was really fun. I remember, you know, touching a lot of stuff. <laughs> I mean, not as the character, but like when I got on the set, I was like, oh, <laughs> you know, like, and the computers and all of those stuff. Yeah, that was cool. And in that scene, you're also there with Nana Visitor, you're there with Colmini, Renee Abergenois, Terry Farrell, Sadig, uh, you know, Bashir. Uh, I mean, did you have any time to chat with any of those folks or was it kind of just, let's get to work? We got an episode of film. Rosalind Chow is a friend of mine. So I think I, uh, I think I could talk to Colm. I don't remember. I just remember everyone was really nice to me. They were nice. You know, they were, they were, they made, made me feel like I belonged. Oddly when I did not, but I mean, you know, <laughs> I, mean, I did not belong, but I mean, I felt, I, I, I felt really welcome on the set. That's all I remember. I remember it sort of being warm and I was welcomed. We should also mention this episode was directed by Kim Friedman, one of the few female directors who did Star Trek in that era. And, uh, you know, this is, I think, actually her second episode directing on DS9. Have you ever crossed paths with Kim previously before that episode? And uh, what do you think about her directing style? I thought she was very, if my memory serves, I thought she was really specific and very thorough, which I really liked. Um, And it was, it may be the first time that I had been directed by a woman, maybe. And so it was, it was unique for me. And it was, it's a different atmosphere. It's better. <laughs> That's a fair answer. <laughs> I should say that there are a lot of wonderful male actors, but it's, 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 it's different when a woman's howling. And I, and I mean that in a good way. Now your character, Eris was supposed to come back two different times on Deep Space Nine, but she didn't. And uh, I'd, I'd love if you could actually kind of explain what happened. Like, uh, I know you're working on a different show, right? Was that, is that basically the story to it? Now I was auditioning. I was testing for a different show and okay. I was like, I made the wrong choice. Um, I was testing for a different show and I was like, well, either I couldn't turn down the test because it would have been a series regular on Mad Men of the People. I don't know if you remember that show or not. So it was to be a series regular or to guest on this other show again. And I was like, well, I can't turn down the possibility of this other, you know, series regular so i i had to turn down the episode in retrospect yes i made the wrong choice (laughs) (laughs) because i didn't get the other thing but um you know i i wouldn't i had to so i'd read that uh it was due to your filming herman's head that you weren't able to actually do ds9 was that for like your second appearance or was that story just completely bunk i think it's because i was uh, testing i don't that would have been the second episode that i was in and if they tried to bring me back a third time, I don't remember that at all. Because I would have probably walked through glass in order to make that happen. That's interesting, yeah, because basically, like, there were two other female Vorta. And uh, from what I've read, again, I don't know how much is true, how much isn't. Uh, one of those characters was ultimately played by Caitlin Hopkins, who we've talked to on the show. 
and the other time around, it was played by Katie Swink. Um, so, you know, basically, according to the stories I've read, there were two other roles that were meant for Eris to pop back up, but uh, you were unable to do them. No, I was supposed to do another thing that Christopher, a male, and they've changed it to a male because I couldn't do it. Okay. Christopher, who's the other Vorta? Uh, there was a bunch. I know who you're talking about. Uh, he played Borath. I can't remember. I can remember his alien name. I can't remember his real name, but uh, yeah, I know who you're talking about. That was the role. That was what I was supposed to be in. Okay. And this is something super duper nerdy here. And I have no idea if you remember any of this at all, but was there ever a, a discussion of an action figure being made of Eris? Because there were really no Vorta toys or merchandise that were made. Do you remember any discussions of that? Well, if they were, they, I don't think they'd talk to me about it. <laughs> I mean, uh, no, not that I know of. Wow. That'd be cool to have an action figure of myself. It would, yeah. I mean, I, I everybody wants a Vorta figure. There was never a figure of Jeffrey Combs as Wayun. There's nothing of Eris. Uh, it's it's a weird thing that they kind of dropped the ball on. Fans have always wanted. <laughs> Did you know fans want action figures of you to this day? No. It's true. It's true. <laughs> so let's talk about something else that you did. That, exactly, yeah. <laughs> this! It could have been a whole thing! Could have had an action feature. So let's talk about something else uh, that you did that has a Star Trek connection to it. And that's the Orville. You did two episodes of the Orville. Oh, uh, yeah. And you got to work was... side by side with Robert Picardo, uh, as well as Ethan Phillips, one of those episodes. Uh, no, not Braga no, 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 not, not Ethan. It was John Billingsley. Oh, John Billingsley. Yeah, let me correct myself. Yeah. I, uh, <laughs> you got well, to John's with... a really good friend of mine. Um, That was so much fun. I love being on that set. Maybe because maybe I remember more about it because it wasn't that long ago. <laughs> but it was a blast and they they did some long hours but i don't know i had a blast doing that show both times was the makeup uh, more difficult than what you did for ds9 no it's easier because the the techniques are different hmm. first of all robert is a very kind man he's just a kind man but he's also really funny so i mean just getting to hang around him was just just a a, a blast and he's also a really great actor but I don't know. It was just, it, it was, it's definitely a highlight and a high point of my life to getting to do that show. Cause I was a big fan of the show. And um, now I feel like I auditioned for something else on that show too, but I don't remember, but I was thrilled to get it because, um, Oh my God, I'm such a huge fan of Seth's and he's so funny. And, and he's also very particular and I, I like, particularness is very specific like i was watching him direct and i was like oh that's the kind of director he is i'm like okay i'm on board i'm ready i'm ready give it to me yeah they're very fun appearances i, I watched both episodes that you got to do uh, and it's a lot of fun to see you work called star trek folks and of course the regulars on the orville so folks can definitely check that out if they want to it's on hulu as well uh and yeah we, we gotta spend some time talking about what you're doing these days because right now you are on you know again we mentioned the trifecta of shows we discuss on trek untold and that missing third we haven't gotten to yet is Walker, Walker, Texas Ranger. And you're oh, on the new oh, Walker show. Of, oh, you mean the supernatural of trifecta? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, I'm having really the time of my life. Um, uh, you know, Jared is just, 
he's someone else who's extraordinarily warm and welcoming. I mean, you know, the first day on the set, you know, he's 6'5 or whatever, and he's he's imposing. And I was like, hello, my name is. And he's like, you know, <laughs> he can't come in for the hug. And and it was scary because it was COVID. So <laughs> I was like masked up. We're all masked up. And I'm like, and I was like, are we allowed to hug? <laughs> like <laughs> asking around. Um, he, he, that's really like family. It's really like, I've never been that comfortable on a set before. I'm glad you mentioned that you guys were filming during the pandemic because I was curious about that. And I mean, I'd love to hear, you know, we haven't talked to anybody who's actually been performing uh, on oh, a show okay. during the pandemic. So I mean, what have you guys done differently to adapt to this environment? Well, we get tested three times a week. And at the height of COVID, we were being tested five days a week. We didn't touch in scenes. Um, props were are, you know, being wiped down. You couldn't, I couldn't hand something to you. If I handed something to you on set, there'd be a cut, they'd wipe it down. And then the other guy would, you know, would receive it. Um, if you did have an intimate scene, which I didn't, um, you know, you, you did have to test every day and you had to make sure that the partner you were with was testing every day. You wear a mask all the time. Uh, unless you're shooting. And so most of us, well, I'll just talk about myself. I was completely broken out, like through here, you know, and then you wear the mask and the makeup would come off in the mask. And so, you know, the, they're constantly having to touch you up. The poor makeup artists, you know, they're masks, they have shields, they, you know, they barely can see to do your makeup. It's, it's a lot working through COVID is a lot, but the crew was, we still were fast. It's still the fastest crew I've ever worked with. Our days were short. Even with COVID, it was lightning fast. And we got to work with three cameras all the time, which also helped. So Molly, last thing before we get out of here today, just a general acting question. What's something that you know today that you wish you knew back when you first started? I wish I knew that I was enough. I wish I knew I was enough and that I, I think I wish I'd learned more relaxation techniques and stuff like that back then, or just to, to arrive and be present on a set rather than like, you know, or to, to, to arrive is a weird um, term that we use in my class, but um, to, to where, where am I right now? Who am I? Where, where, who, what do I feel like right now? What is, what's happening right now? Like to be in the moment as me and then to add the circumstances on top of it, of what the scene is about. But I would just show up and just dive into stuff. And I, sometimes I was a nervous wreck. Sometimes it was appropriate. Sometimes it wasn't. So those are the two big things to really arrive and to know that I was enough. And last question for today, Molly, what's the best thing about being a part of the Star Trek universe? Being part of the Star Trek universe? <laughs> um, um, I don't know. I, I, feeling like feeling like you belong. I mean, it's a pretty big universe and it's a pretty big space with a lot of different people. And um, just, you know, I was a quirky person, not well-liked growing up. and. I found my people in Star Trek. Great answer. And for folks who want to meet you, by the way, as we mentioned, you're going to be at Star Trek Las Vegas, correct? Yes, I am. And you're going to be there the entire weekend? 
No, I get, I think Friday, Saturday and part of Sunday. Okay. Do you know like what booth information you're going to be at yet or any, any information about panels or anything like that you're going to be doing? I think something's happening on Friday. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I, I don't, I think, so. I think I'm on a panel on Friday. And I, I, it might be a Vorta pan. No, 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 it's not. No, it's not. I don't know. I don't know. You're doing something. You're going to be there. That's what matters. Okay. <laughs> so, if anybody, and I don't even has... know if we're going to be masked or on. Unma- I think. I think you know, with the Delta variant, I think I'm going to mask up. Or maybe just wear some really crazy alien makeup, and that'll just cover everything up. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but I am vaccinated. Okay, same here, yeah. So, again, for folks who are going to be going to Star Trek Las Vegas, you can meet Molly Hagen. I definitely recommend you do. Get yourself a picture. Get yourself an autograph. Uh, yeah, don't don't miss this opportunity. And, and Molly, of course, I hope you get to meet Bobby Clark and, and say hello to the Gorn. I will. I will. Thank you so much. This has really been a pleasure. Yeah, thank you, Molly. It's been really great. Uh, I love chatting with you. It's been, like I said, you were on that list for me to get very early on when I first started this podcast. I'm happy I finally got to have the opportunity. And I'm not going to be at Vegas, but I hope you do another Star Trek con. I get to meet you and get my own photo with you as well. So thank you so I much for chatting that. today. Thank you. And that was our chat with Molly Hagen. What a pleasure it was to speak with her. And I want to thank her again for her tremendous stories all about her body of work. It's truly a shame that she didn't ever come back to Star Trek. But you know what? It's never too late because there's plenty of new Trek being made all the time these days. She's an amazingly talented performer and a lovely person. So make sure to check her out on Walker every Thursday night on The CW. And no, this isn't a sponsored podcast by The CW. If there's one thing you guys should know about me by now, there's a few shows we always talk about here on this podcast. That's The Golden Girls, Murder, She Wrote and Walker, Texas Ranger. So do me and Molly a favor, make sure you check out her new show. Now these days, Trek Untold seems to be collecting Vorta members of the Dominion, since we can now add Molly to our list that already includes Caitlin and Kitty. So what other Vorta are missing from this checklist? How about Christopher Shea as Kivon, Leland Crook as Gelnon, Ray Boketnica as Deos, Dennis Christopher as Borath, and most famously, Iggy Pop as Yelgrin. The famous singer was originally meant to be cast in the episode Past Tense Part 2 as the character Grady but was unable to take part in the filming due to scheduling conflicts. It was thanks to the musician being injured that he had some time off and was able to jump on board to Deep Space Nine to do the episode The Magnificent Frankie. It's an excellent episode, absolutely worth a rewatch if you like the Frankie episodes, which I, of course, do. And by the way, if anyone knows how to contact Iggy Pop, please feel free to let me know because I would love to get him here on this show. So that wraps up this week's episode of Trek Untold. Thank you so much for checking it out this week. Please make sure that you're following us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, all at Trek Untold. That's one word, no spaces, at Trek Untold. It's the best way to get updates on guests, check out all the memes and other things that we're posting, and interact with myself and other Star Trek fans. If you'd like to support this podcast, go ahead and check out patreon.com slash trekuntold and become a subscriber to the show. Or check out teespring.com slash stores slash trekuntold to check out some of our merchandise. If you've been enjoying Trek Untold, please leave us a rating and review on iTunes or wherever you're listening to podcasts. And if you're on YouTube, please give the video a thumbs up and subscribe to our channel, youtube.com slash nerdnewstoday. Leaving ratings, reviews, and comments are things that all help this podcast grow, and they'll cost you nothing but a few seconds of your time. Doing things like that, or even telling your friends or other Star Trek fans about the stuff you've heard on the show and making sure they know about us are huge helps to keeping Trek Untold growing. Thank you once again to our sponsor, Triple Fiction Productions. Go ahead and check them out at triple-fictionproductions.net. If you'd like to send us some feedback about this episode, suggest a guest, or ask to be booked on the show, go ahead and send me an email at trekuntold at gmail.com. And of course, thanks to listeners like you for choosing Trek Untold and making it your weekly Star Trek podcast. This has been Trek Untold. I'm Matthew Kaplowitz, and until next time, fortune favors the bold. Trek Untold is sponsored by treksphere.com. 
promoting fan-produced Star Trek content in all forms, is powered by the Rageworks Podcasting Network, and is affiliated with Nerd News Today.